Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ben and Chris Talk Sports. I am Chris. And I am Ben. And we're here to bring you our opinions on the news, notes, and happenings from around the world of sports. On today's episode, episode 102, we have a little bit of fallout from the World Series. As you know, the Dodgers made us both look stupid about an hour after we finished recording last Tuesday's episode. Technically, last right. Wednesday's episode. We record Tuesday night. And uh, I should just say Kevin Cash made us look stupid. We'll get to that. Uh, we have NFL trade deadline news, or lack thereof. And are rebuilds always necessary for teams that are kind of on a decline? We're going to look at two examples and, and, and kind of run through how these teams differ and what their rebuilds could have to be and could look like. And then, of course, uh, I've been saying it for seven weeks now, or eight. Uh, Ben's least favorite part of the week. This week, however... He managed to beat me in Banker Tank. So he's not, while it wasn't an astounding record, he's not dreading it the way he has in the past two months. So we're going to get into that and, of course, our Week 9 selections. But first, 2020 World Series. Dodgers put it away last Tuesday night, winning in six games. I'm just confused on what Kevin Cash was trying to do here. So is his entire team. And and his starting pitcher was very respectful, but he did throw a couple subtle jabs at Cash. But you wouldn't you wouldn't know it unless you really read between the lines. Blake Snell was mowing them down, and I don't. I'm not even joking because we were talking. Uh, I think it was either during the during the recording last week or it was just after where he was. He had just hit nine Ks in five innings. Oh, it was during it's the like, recording. We were sitting there counting. I'm like, oh, he has three now. Oh, he has five. It's like, okay, oh, wow. He's he's locking them down. And like you said, we discussed this. Like, this is a mistake. Why didn't you bring, you know, uh, Walker Bueller? Why didn't you throw Clayton Kershaw? It's What are you, what are you guys doing? And then then Kevin Cash decides, oh, let's let's ask the computer what, what, what we should do. Uh was it Blake Snell walked a guy and then he got yanked? Yeah, he only gave up, I believe he gave up a hit early in the game, one hit. Right. And right. then over the next five and a third innings, struck out 10. Was awesome. Was dominant. No no signs of slowing down. Only threw, was it 81 pitches? 73. 73, not even, not even 81. Okay. 73 pitches and walks a guy. Kevin Cash comes out. Takes him out of the game. This is game six of the World Series. You have a one nothing lead. Your pitcher is mowing them down. This is the kind of uh, game you paid Blake Snell to be in. Correct. You want him. I mean, look, you want him in that situation. He's your ace. He's your guy. Charlie Morton has been great in game sevens, and he's been great for the last couple of years for them. Blake Snell is your guy. You paid him far more than you normally pay any free agent to come into Tampa Bay or stay in Tampa Bay since they drafted him and it was an extension, but you paid him more. He ended, you got him for a discounted rate because he had some injuries in the past and he decided, hey, I'm going to take this money now and stay with this team, which is smart on his part and smart on the Rays' part. This is why you did that, though, to have him in this exact situation. A, a, a potential series-deciding game, everything on the line, you put him out there and he's doing exactly what you pay him to do. And Kevin Cash bought into the BS analytics, pulled him in that very same inning. The Rays lost the lead, lost the game, and who knows? Kevin Cash may have I, lost the team. 
I honestly, and here's the problem. Here's the problem with this, Chris. You 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 can't put it on Kevin Cash because my thought is, well, this comes directly from the front office. This is another front office directed team, and they're punching their numbers into the computer and saying, oh, well, if if Blake Snell in the sixth inning gives up a hit or walks a person, then and this batter is up, then we need to bring in this pitcher. And that happened. And then what does Nick Anderson do? Well, he gives up a hit and uh, gives up the gives up the yeah gave up the lead right he gave no no yeah. he kept a home run yeah and, and and then obviously later in the game um Fairbanks gives up another run uh it's it's a frustrating thing for the Rays players because you're so close to winning this and you can feel it you can feel the momentum your your ace pitcher is going out and mowing these guys down not touched for the most part, there was 73 pitches in a five and a third, and he gets yanked for what? So you can bring Nick Anderson, who's not as good. Maybe he's been reliable. Maybe he's got a stellar nope, nope. ERA. He hadn't, he hadn't. That's the worst part. If you looked at his numbers from the postseason, he'd been very subpar. Oh, well, then it's strictly matchup. Like, that's all it's got to be. It's like, but but here's the thing that, that, putting numbers into a computer doesn't factor in. Do you have it at that moment on the biggest stage? Because I'll tell you who, who did have it. Blake Snell had it. Blake Snell had control of that game. And then Nick Anderson came in as like, clearly, clearly he was overtaken by the moment and just blew it. And not catastrophically, but they got him out as soon as they could. Blake Snow was cool. He was calm. He was collected. He was dealing. He was doing exactly what they pay him to do. And I, I saw this, and it made me think back to 2003. And, yes, Grady Little with the Red Sox. I know it's different. He left Pedro in too long. I'm going to get to that. There was also something else in 2003. And that was the World Series, where a young Josh Beckett, I believe it was game six, Pitched a uh, a complete game, two hit shutout against the New York Yankees and helped the Marlins win the World Series that same year. Prior to that, the whole Grady Little thing with and any Red Sox fan or baseball fan for that matter knows what I'm talking about. Was what was it game? It was game seven, right? He had Pedro was in the game, and he'd been dealing all game. Started struggling. Clearly didn't have it anymore. I believe it was like the seventh inning, eighth inning. Needed to come out of the game. Gave up a few runs. The Sox still had the lead. Grady comes in, talks to him, leaves him in. So Grady Little leaves Pedro in too long. Kevin Cash takes Blake Snell out way too early. It's not really even a fine line. Like You can tell by watching a guy if you're a fan. If he has it or not. In 2003, when Grady left Pedro in, Pedro did not have it anymore. Fast forward to this season. Just last week, Kevin Cash goes in, talks to Blake Snell. Blake Snart clearly still has it. He's fine. He just walked to one guy. Cash comes in, plays the analytics game, pulls him in the, in the uh, sixth inning after five and a third stellar innings. This comes down to coaches needing to understand their players. This is the kind of thing that can make or break the next several years of a franchise. And I know it sounds crazy to say one decision, one play. I know especially in 03, the Red Sox came back the next year and won. 
the Rays could come back next year and win. Or they may not make it back again. They might win the next 10. Who knows? But in that moment, Kevin Cash had the opportunity to believe in his guy, to trust his guy who was telling him he was okay. If this is seventh inning, eighth inning, and he throws four terrible pitches coming out of the dugout, and you can say, okay, you might not have it anymore. I get that. This is the fifth inning and 73 pitches. There is no need to pull him here. Absolutely ridiculous. I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. Um, it, it is a shoddy performance, shoddy performance by the organization as a collective. Because again, I, I still hold to the theory that it was a collective decision to uh, pull him. So uh, I'll clean up a couple things up for you uh, to kind of help you out. It was game seven in 03. Okay. Uh, seven and a thirds is when they pulled, when they finally pulled Pedro. Uh, obviously he got uh, hit for five runs on 10 hits. And then Beckett was a game six um, shutdown of the Cleveland Indians, which completed the uh, World Series in... That was the Yankees, not the Indians. Oh, I saw... An, um, you're correct. I meant the World Series. Yeah. There was a World Series. Uh, game six, he shut the... That uh, would have been... Who was that? That was all three. That was the same year. Yeah, but who'd they face? Oh. Yeah, Mar- Marlins Yankees, and Yankees. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but... I was looking at the uh, 97 too for oh, some reason. Yeah, no. I, I don't know. Don't ask me why. Um, but it was it was game six where he shut them down and, and won the series. So you're right. You're I think you were right on both of those counts. And and I think the Mar- the, the the Rays should look at that game seven. And I understand Josh Beckett went on to be a prolific starting pitcher. He petered off at the end of his career, but he did have a prolific career it's one of those instances where you just say this is your guy you're gonna ride or die with this guy in this game until he gives it up like if he had given up a home run in that instance maybe i can understand it's more understandable maybe, yeah maybe but the guy is dealing the guy is in a zone he gives up a hit uh as i checked it was actually a hit to give up not a walk but he gave up a hit. The next pitch could be a ground ball, second base, runs a runs a, a four six three double play. Boom, they're out of it. Mm-hmm. Like I, that, it, that really could happen. Now it could have went the other way. He could have given up a home run. But it uh, obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty. But there has to come a time, and and unfortunately for, actually I should say fortunately for Dave Roberts. The Tampa Bay Rays are, are so much more analytic that they they out analytic Dave Roberts. So he couldn't have one of his moments where he's like, ooh, the computer's telling me this. That's what I'm gonna do. And and not that gut instinct to say, I'm gonna have Nathan Avaldi go out. And even though he's gonna wear it, he's gonna save our bullpen and save our pitching staff. For the rest of the series, um, and I believe that was the and um, referencing the NL, uh, the ALCS, not the World Series, but to the point, you just have to have that good instinct to say, "I'm going to go with my guy. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have belief in my players that are the 
top echelon. And I'll tell you what, Blake Snell, if he was going on the open market right now, record numbers. Despite his injury, he would get record numbers for contract. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, just to kind of clean up what I was saying before, because I kind of jumbled it. Uh, what I was trying to say is I would much rather somebody like Grady Little who goes out there and trusts his guy and has the the, the at least the pitching face of the franchise. Right. Because uh, you could argue Ortiz was. Actually, in 03, maybe, maybe not even yet Ortiz. He was getting there, but he wasn't quite. Um, I would much rather have you say, like you said, you're going to ride or die with your main guy. But I wasn't trying to be a rhyme there, but I did. Uh, but you, you left Pedro in. Pedro's the man. Pedro's your ace. Yep. And if he tells you he's got it, I would much rather have you say, okay, you got it, and give up the lead with Pedro Martinez on the hill. Right. Then take my ace out and have a middling relief pitcher come in and give it up. I, especially when the pitching on the other side have been stellar all series. Wanted to win. I think this is it pisses me off because analytics are taking away so much of what makes baseball great. And baseball needs all the help it can get to stay relevant in the public eye. And when you start turning it into essentially a computer simulation, you take a lot of people out of it. Some of the best moments in history would never have happened if analytics had been around since the beginning of baseball. And I, I can sit here and I can run you down 10 off the top of my head. But it's, then this would be a three-hour podcast. That's not what we're aiming for. But, man, Kevin Cash, you, you got to trust your guys more, man. You got to trust your guys. And, and you got to stop looking at the computer to do what you're paid to do, and that's know your players. I, I still, I still don't want to put it all on Kevin Cash because this is the this is the environment he's grown up in as a manager. It's analytics runs it. Analytics is in charge of it. Front office is going to dictate what the lineup is, who's going to come in at what time. There's no. With him, there seems to be no gut instinct. So I don't know how much I can put on him for not going with his guys and having that instinct to stay with his guys when he may just not have it because it's just not the environment he's been in. And you could say that a lot for Dave Roberts as well. He just he got lucky because Kevin Cash and and the brain trust of the Rays decided to pull Blake Snell. And I'll, I'll stand on that wall. It, even if Kevin Cash comes out and says, yeah, it was my my call. I didn't get a, a, a buzz from the front office phone. I didn't get a, a call on my cell phone, which you shouldn't have anyway, um, to say, hey, let's 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 pull Blake Snell. I, I don't really care because I don't I won't believe it because who was at the forefront of the analytics? It was the Oakland Athletics and the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, but even the Athletics, the Athletics did it from a logical standpoint, though. Yeah, they did it. They did it analytics almost from like from a financial standpoint, not from a oh, this guy can only throw thirty pitches if it's wind chills below thirty and it's a night game and this and that. And like they did, theirs was about 
cap management and things of that nature. Whereas a lot of these other teams are bringing in the the uh, the opener instead of having a starting pitcher that goes seven. We have the opener. He's going to pitch an inning in the third, and then we're going to bring in another guy to pitch two innings, and it's oh my god! Man. I think if that's part of Walter it too, Johnson and Christy Matthews are rolling over in their grave right now, rolling over. And if you don't know those names, Google them and do some research. And that might be part of it too, Chris. Uh, the opener just getting because you already know. Managers are, are trigger happy during the playoffs, especially when it gets later. They're really going to pull, the, you know, how long is that starting pitcher going to go before they bring in another arm? Because, you know, it's unload all the arms now because there's nothing to live for after, you know, game six, game seven. But Tampa Bay is like, again, to the umpteenth degree because they live in that, I hate to say this, but I'll say it like this. They live in that bubble where they're going to pull a guy after two thirds of an inning. If he's given it up, because that's what the opener role does. It's if you, you either have it or you don't. And once you don't have it, get out. So I, I, I they need have, to change something. They need to change. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Uh, just a, a little side note before I move on to the lack of trade deadline news in the NFL. Uh, I'm getting a little tired of people knocking the Dodgers for this championship. Legit. Um, we, you and I give the Dodgers a fair share of criticism based on poor past performances and have said multiple times, prove you can win and we'll come out and give you credit for it. Same as you did with Andy Reid before the last Super Bowl. Yep. And what did we do? First we did. Hey, congratulations, Andy Reid. Now, now Andy Reid can just be a football coach. Not the guy who can't win the big one. And the Dodgers came out and did what they had to do. Yep. And I've seen a lot of people, oh, it took it took six games in a shortened season because of a pandemic with the highest payroll and this and this and that. I don't want to hear any of that crap. Every team paid 60 games. Every team had the same advantages, same disadvantages this year. Look, if you live in a small market, you live in a big market, that is what it is on any given season. Doesn't matter. That's, that, so, that that part of it, Chris, though, that you can't – I don't believe you can put that part of the equation because your team decides that regardless if there are 60 games, 100 games, or 165. That's their decision to have that kind of payroll. Oh, that's what I'm saying. That's, right. I'm, right. I'm, I'm enhancing the right, right. point. It, it, that you, it, whoever is putting that in their conversation, their argument, you can't, you can't factor that in no. because that's the decision of – the Tampa Bay Rays to have that kind of payroll. The Chicago White Sox, the the Florida Marlins, uh, sorry, Miami Marlins, the Oakland Athletics. That's their decision, regardless of what kind of season it is. So you can't, you cannot put that in the equation. Dodgers won. Good job. Yeah, it was a sixty-game season for everybody. Everybody decided what their payroll would be. Everybody had the same limitations and and issues this season. And the Dodgers came out on top. There wasn't any controversy. There wasn't any BS. The Dodgers can only beat the team that's across from them on a diamond. I don't care who it was. I don't care what their payroll is. They did what they had to do. Congratulations. Well done. End of story. No, no, no BS. No backhanded compliment. You did what you had to do. And and, and hats off to you. Clayton Gershaw came out and did what he was supposed yep. to do as an ace. 
Walker Bueller came out, did what he was supposed to do. Wookie Betts came out, did what he's done for in Boston many years, as much as I don't 100% like him being there, but I will appreciate him for doing that. Um, you know, people came out and did what they were supposed to do. Yep. We're still going to knock. I'm still going to knock. What's his name? Um, Cody Bellinger for, you know, the H in a game or two. Uh, that wouldn't have happened in a normal season, uh, depending on where they were playing. But, you know, I'll still knock players for what, you know, it's just like David Price came out uh, after the World Series in, in 18. It says, I hold all the cards. And you know what? As much as of a, a dick move that was, and as much of, you know, cockiness that was, and I said, you know what? I agree with you 100%. Even if I was one of those people who, who knocked you for not giving your all, bowing out of games because you're, you couldn't feel your fingertips because it was too cold, you went out, you showed what you had, in the biggest stage, I tip my cap yep. and I say, yep, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You're right this time. You have the cards. Good job. All right. Moving on from that, I don't know how much more baseball talk we'll have. So uh, this may essentially uh, – we're not going to change the name of the show again, but for the next few months, this may essentially be Ben and Chris talk football again. Well, it, it's going to go – we're shifting into the cold stove season, Chris, not the hot stove. Yeah, there's no basketball. There's no – no hockey, no baseball. So it's gonna it's gonna be a few months of uh, unless something odd happens. Uh, there it's gonna be a few months of uh, <laughs> nothing but well, football. They can but they we're can gonna officially we're, start doing stuff, right? What? Who? Uh, in baseball, they can officially start doing stuff. It's like five days after the World Series. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I'm not sure. I know they've already well, had some guys didn't pick up, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll we'll get into that. In yeah, that ought to be down the road. That'll, that'll be yeah. We'll. If something happens, you'll hear about it, but uh, just just a little heads up. But I don't think anybody minds too much. All right. The NFL trade deadline. Uh, you're listening to this show on Wednesday, but it ended yesterday or today as we're recording this. Uh, not a lot happened. There was a lot of rumors, as there usually is. There was a lot of uh, supposed behind-the-scenes discussions between a lot of NFL GMs and teams and owners and a whole lot of nothing, some smaller moves, not to discredit uh, the the players, no disrespect to whoever got moved, but, you know, there was talks that the Patriots would trade Stephon Gilmore to try to save some cap and build for the future. There was talk that the Texans would trade Will Fuller for the same reasons. Uh, neither of those things happened. We're going to get into why those would have been good or bad in a minute. Uh, the the funny one that I want to, not, not funny, but um, <laughs> astounding if you're this player, that I wanted to bring up was uh, Avery Williamson, linebacker for the Jets, was traded from the Jets to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That of itself isn't noteworthy. At least he's a good player, but he's not, you know, he's not Devin Bush who they lost, but he, he, he'll fill in nicely with that defense around him. The great part for Mr. Williamson, he goes from the 0-8 Jets to the undefeated Steelers. Oh, it's a move up in the world. And, I mean, it, it, like, you're all but assured, they're already discussing a 16-game playoff for the NFL this season if any games get canceled uh, or a move to the point where they can't, they can't replay them or, or find a different right. day to play them. You're all but guaranteed 
at least a playoff spot now if you're Avery Williamson. And if you had stayed put with the Jets, you were guaranteed to watch some more high-drafted rookies come in and underperform. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's you, an you could not have had a better situation. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll enhance your point. It's an opportunity for him because clearly they bring him in to try. I'm not going to say replace Devin Bush because I would never speak those words. Uh, Devin Bush is great and you can't replace him. But he's going to have an opportunity to fill a spot on the Pittsburgh Steelers defense and maybe, maybe raise his profile as a player a little bit. And who knows what it'll turn into for uh, Avery Williamson. I know this. He stays on the Jets. He goes nowhere. And he doesn't raise his profile. He does not probably get opportunity. I don't know if he's going to get an opportunity, but he would not have an opportunity to get a extension contract in the offseason um, pro- uh, that could be more lucrative than being on an 0-16. I'm not saying well, I'm not saying they're going to be 0-16, but it's looking like it. I don't know. They got to play the Patriots twice, and the Patriots look piss poor. So yeah, we'll discuss that in Banker Tank, just so you know. Yeah, well, um, I'm a Patriots fan, but I'm not feeling as confident about this game coming up Monday as I have in the past uh, the first couple weeks of the season. Let's just say that. Correct. Um, I'm interested. I can understand a team not wanting to trade for Stefan Gilmore and give up a first round pick in the middle of the season. If it was the off season, I would be Bill. If I were Bill, I would definitely hold my ground on the first round pick for Stefan Gilmore. Absolutely, I would. But, and I believe you should get a first round pick for Stefan, but I can understand no teams wanting to give up because you don't know what it, you don't know if he's 100% because he had the knee injury right. recently. And, as much as you believe he would fit in your defense, you don't know for sure if he'll fit in the defense. Let me let me ask you this. Had sure. had well Stefan Gilmore is, is one of the best he can play man coverage with the best yes. of them. So absolutely. He'll fit into just about any defense. But if he had not hurt his knee and he continued mm-hmm. to play at a high level, uh you know, this past Sunday and trade deadline comes around. And they say, we want a first-round pick and a player for him. Do you think he goes anywhere? Do you think the knee injury is what hampered it? No, I I still think – because I agree with you that he is a man coverage guy. He is all about sticking to his guy. A lot of teams like to play zone coverage. Not a lot. They'll they'll mix it up like the Patriots, but there's a lot of teams that will strictly play zone an entire game or entire half and – Stefan might get exposed in in that instance because a lot of the times when you watch when we're watching Stefan, he can get exposed in a zone coverage because you're relying on your teammates in zone coverage to be in their responsibilities. And you can look really bad if we uh, if you blow coverage in zone coverage. I just don't think you were going to get a first-round first pick and a player for Stefan Gilmore during the trade deadline. I just I just don't see it. You just – there's too many variables, even if you subtract the, the knee injury. Still too many variables. That's a heavy price 
and I understand um, Jalen Ramsey was traded for two first round picks. He's younger, I think, is the biggest factor there. Younger player, Stefan's 30. Yeah, according to you, he should already be, you know. Well, it's not. That's not. He should already have, you know, bricks tied to his ankles and thrown off the cliff. So this time it's not me. That is just a fact that Jalen Ramsey was still on his rookie contract when he got traded for two first and last train deadline. And he was trying to fire his way out of, out of Jacksonville. <laughs> yeah. Who can't blame him there? Stefan was subtly telling Bill to, to send him away with his, putting his house on, on the market. But also he's, he's got more miles on the tire. If I can, I'll be a little more appropriate with his his age and i just don't think during the trade deadline you're going to get a first round pick and a player for uh an aging albeit 2019 defensive player of the year it just doesn't seem likely oh, yeah, yeah, but i i would i would not give him up for anything less than a first round pick though few few things there uh, and I, I agree with that i wouldn't either uh well maybe but i'll get to that in a minute uh, miles on the tire, I think, is a little bit different when you're a corner as opposed to if you're a running back. Because corners are not getting the crap beat out of them on every play. They're not getting rammed no, into getting, and bashed every play. Yeah, but these are cut blocked. Yeah, I, I get it, but it's not every play. It's not 35 times a game you're diving into a monster pile or you're getting whacked. Like, it's 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 just not the same. Good corners can play until their mid 30s. I agree. It, it, and I mean, you have guys who are like, you know, Freaks of nature, and I mean that in a positive way, like uh, Daryl Green, who played to what? He was almost 40, 41 years old. 41, 42. Yeah. yeah, he played for quite some time, and he was still playing at a high level, all things considered, when he retired. So, Stefan Gilmore still has, unless unless his knee injury is more severe than we're led to believe, and I have no reason to believe it is. I think he just tweaked his knee a little bit. He still has several good years ahead of him. But I do agree with you when you say it wasn't going to happen in the middle of the season. It wasn't now for a first and a player. I almost wonder if Belichick didn't throw that out there for the offseason. Because I oh, guarantee oh, you one absolutely. thing. I, that's why he gave him. Well, there's a little misinformation about the, the, the raise Gilmore got before the season. Right. It wasn't an additional $5 million. It was money that was going to be given to him next season. Belichick moved to this season. Interesting move. So he actually has only seven million against the cap next season, which is way undervalued for somebody of his skill level. So that's going to make him a lot easier to move come next offseason or his current offseason coming up. So I guarantee you, if a team comes to Bill with a high second round pick and a decent player, Belichick can fit into his system, Belichick will move him. Or just the first round straight up, Belichick would move him. It's going to depend on the market. Right. So your scenario, uh, if I'm Bill, so it's clearly going to be a a 20, if it's a second round pick, it's going to be a 2021 second round pick because then you know what it is. Well, right. Exactly. Right. If Bill's willing to gamble and go with the 2022 first round pick, I, if me personally, I would go with the first round pick. Even though I know, well, the second round pick is the third overall pick in the second round. It, that's 
in most realms, that's still a first, classified as a first round talent. Because as we know, there's a, a bevy of players who get overdrafted, especially at the quarterback position. So value drops to the, first, to the top of the second round. That being said, I still take a, I still roll a dice, uh, train Stefan Gilmore to Team X for a first round pick in 2022, and you never know where that's going to land. Look at, look at um, the Richard Seymour trade where that first round pick landed, uh, top ten. Yeah, and I think that was Mayo. I believe so. So, stellar player, consummate professional, not the 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 playmaker that we thought he might be but stellar for almost 10 years i think and, but that's what bill's looking for and let's not discount the fact that he doesn't have to move he's still under contract next season oh yeah as we're going to get into uh to the dismay of people who are celebrating the downfall of the patriots right now uh this this rebuild quote is not going to be a multi-year thing. They're going to have plenty of cap room next year. And by moving the money from next year to this year for Gilmore, if Belichick can restructure an extension, say give him a three-year extension, that brings him to 33 or 34 years old by the time the contract's up. If it's along the same lines as the contract he signed previously with the Patriots, they can more than afford it and still make some key impact moves. And most of that money won't even affect next season because he can transfer it to the following years. So Belichick knows what he's doing. Right. Like We're going to get into that in a second. I want to get into real quick before we get on to the rebuilding topic. Uh, Will Fuller did not get traded to the Packers. That was the only rumor as far as Will Fuller goes that I heard was the Green Bay Packers. It didn't make a lot of sense to me personally. Right. That they would, they would give up a – you'd have to assume – with Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien wasn't there still. I mean, he probably did probably just give him away. But you'd have to assume, uh, considering Will Fuller was being called an elite receiver, which let's be real, he's not. He's a very good receiver when healthy, but he's not. He's not DeAndre Hopkins, as uh, Deshaun Watson can tell you. He's not DeAndre Hopkins. He's not Devonte Adams. He's not Julio Jones. He's not even healthy half the time. I don't mean any knock on the guy because he performs when he's healthy, but that is so rare to have him healthy going into nine games into the season. That literally has not happened yet in his career. So it makes all the sense in the world for me for the Packers to say, we have Marquez Valdez scaling. We mm-hmm. have two tight ends we can use. We have Devontae Adams, absolutely one of the best in the game. We have Alan Lazard, who I don't believe he's coming back this year. Uh, I think he's out for the season, but he's on IR right now at least. Uh, we have probably a couple other guys I'm forgetting about because I'm not I'm not really up to date on the entire Packers receiving core, but there's some other guys Rogers probably comfortable with. Not to mention Aaron Jones and uh, the backup. I always forget Jamal Green Williams. Bay. Jamal Williams, thank you. Poor Jamal Williams. I always forget the guy's name. I swear. Uh, are, are absolutely no slouches in the receiving game. Good on the Packers for having just uh, the sense to say, yeah, we're not going to give up a high draft pick for a rental. When our team is just fine. Didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I applaud them for not making a move just to make a move. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there. Here's what I, here's where I'm at with it. 
because I just looked up his uh, contract status. He's a free agent at the end of this year. So I can see the, the value at trading him right now. So what this tells me is the Texans set a price that was too high. Uh, I don't know if you know what the price was or the rumor price was, but for William Fuller, if I'm going to trade for him, I think I told you, I don't know if I told you this, but I might have. I would not give up more than a fifth round pick at most. Well, it's funny and you even, say that. It's funny you say that, not to cut you off, but right. just so I don't forget this point real quick. Uh, that was actually what GMs were saying. Uh, I guess a couple other GMs uh, right. t- did also discuss with the Texans the possibility of bringing in William Fuller. And they told them they were not willing to give anything other than a third day draft pick. That was it. I mean, there's, there's no, there, I understand injury is always a factor and we get that, but with William Fuller, it takes it to another degree. The chances of him stepping on the field on Sunday, if he was traded with a new team and first play getting injured are pretty high for him. And I don't mean to throw dirt on William Fuller. Facts are facts. He gets injured every single year. We've both said how talented he is when he's in the game, but it's a fact that he can't stay healthy. So here's, here's where the Texans kind of fumbled it a little bit. And I know stunner, the Texans screwed up. Unless they feel like they're going to invest money in William Fuller long-term, which would be a slight mistake. Um, they the should have just gave Bill O'Brien. <laughs> they should have just really just a fifth round pick. They should have just said, okay, we're going to take that fifth round pick. We're going to use it. That's another um, bullet in the chamber for our next GM to kind of say, okay, well, we don't have our first round pick. I have some picks later in the draft where I can play this game of moving up and down the, the draft and, and trying to acquire talent. But if they're saddled on signing him or, oh my God, give him the franchise tag, that would be, if I'm William Fuller, I get a franchise tag, I'm signing it right away. Dude, if you're a Houston Texans fan and they trade away DeAndre Hopkins and then give William Fuller uh, franchise tag money, uh, oh man. There will not, I don't even have a joke to sure emphasize how 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 completely insane that would make that fan base. I mean, that, I, I know if I were a fan of the Texans, that would make me nuts. That I would just uh, <laughs> trade away one of the one of the elite receivers in the game, and then you want to uh, try to pawn off your often injured, albeit talented. Secondary receiver William Fuller for a second or third round pick because you say now he's elite. She didn't consider DeAndre Hopkins elite, but Will Fuller's elite. I don't know. I don't know, man. What do I always say about teams like Baltimore and Pittsburgh and New England and uh, well Kansas City the last couple of years? But we'll see. We'll see what the future brings them. Just and the Steelers. I said Pittsburgh. Oh, you did say Pittsburgh. Uh. And not, not a knock on the Chiefs. It's just only been a few years they've been at this level. So we'll see where the future brings them. But right. there's a reason those teams can continue to compete. And they might have a down season here or there. But they're not. there's not a, a New York Jets-style slump 
a Cincinnati Bengals type slump. Although I think Joe Burrow is going to have something to say about that. Uh, a Cleveland Browns type slump. Uh, I mean, there's a reason those teams don't go through those kind of down periods. Right. When's the last time you can say the Baltimore Ravens absolutely sucked? Uh, have they? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. I, I mean, they've had some years where they weren't. They have some years where they weren't the elite team, right? But where, where you could say, "Oh God, that is a trash team." I don't remember. Same with Pittsburgh. Last year they weren't great, but man, they still played with heart. And they damn, if they had the same playoff setup for this year, they had last year, the Steelers would have been a playoff team. So there, there's a reason those quality organizations stay competitive. Well, speaking of rebuilds, we're going to talk about a couple teams here. The uh, the Patriots and the 49ers, who, and I know what you're saying already when I say 49ers and rebuild. They won the Super Bowl last year. Hear me out here, because I'm not trying to put a damper on your, on your parade there, 49ers fans, but uh, the future is a little shaky for your team. Let's be let, being realistic. I'm going to give you some examples. Uh, and as a Patriots fan, while I, I, I do realize this year may not exactly be a year to hoist a Lombardi trophy, I don't think it's all doom and gloom going forward. So here's examples why rebuilds don't always have to be decades long. Once again, looking at you, Cleveland and Jets. All right. So this past week, Belichick made a little bit of news, came out and said, the reason the Patriots could not make more moves in the offseason was because they just don't have any money. We paid Cam Newton a million dollars. That should make it pretty clear we didn't have any money to spend. We went all in the last five years. We won three Super Bowls. We went to a fourth. And we're doing the best we can now. Not an excuse, just the facts. And people want to criticize him, of course, because that's that's what they do when Belichick says anything. He's also not wrong. Can you name me a single organization besides maybe the, some of the better ones we just mentioned? You could tell them how many how how many losing seasons would you be willing to endure if you knew your team was going to win three out of five and go to a fourth and play at the level the Patriots played? I mean, they all they all would do it. Yeah, uh, there's a team in in New Orleans that was basically doing the same thing right now. They're basically doing the same exact thing. Because when Drew Brees steps away, I believe his contract, it's going to be, it's going to hit him just like Brady's hitting their contract this year. It's going to be the same exact, it's going to be a parallel. That's why they got Jameis Winston to kind of set them up with a, yes, you could call him a NFL qualities quarterback, but that's the whole point of that is so that if they're not doing what the Patriots are doing right now, trying to scramble, they scramble in the offseason, waiting to the last minute to give Cam the, the million-dollar contract instead of having to pay, you know, $10 million, or, or what was it? Was it $14 million over two years for Dalton? Or, like, 15 Yeah, that was four, I think it was 14 yeah. Something, something insane for Andy Dalton. Now, obviously, Cam could get more money, but – like the Saints are going to be in the situation the Pat Pats are in right now, but you look at it and they're setting themselves up for success in the future. Am I here's, wrong? No, not at all. Uh, here's the thing, though: 
are the Pats as bad as they are now if if this isn't the COVID season? No, they're better. I mean, they have a starting offensive lineman who opted out because of COVID. They have one on the COVID list right now who was exposed to it. They have multiple defensive starters who were part of a, 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 a high-level defense last year in the last couple of years who opted out because of COVID. I'm not making excuses. Everybody. Everybody had, had players opt out. Everyone's had injuries. Again, I'm not making excuses. The team is 2-5 and because they played poorly, and they have not committed, uh, um, completed the plays they had to when they had to. The next man up mentality has to apply in good times and bad. You can't say next man up when it's uh, uh, somebody coming out of nowhere and being successful and then whine about it when it doesn't work out. It is what it is, to quote Bill Belichick. You still have to take it no matter what, good or bad. I'm just simply pointing out that the doom and gloom that people are trying to throw on this team, because let's face it, the naysayers have waited 20 years for this, 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 this to happen. They've waited 20 years for the Patriots to come out and play this poorly. And I remember, I, I've been a Patriots fan my entire life. I've rooted for really, really bad Patriots teams before. This actually isn't new to me. I look at this team, and I don't see a really bad team. I see an indecisive team. And I see an indecisive quarterback in Cam Newton. But I don't see a terrible football team, despite the record. Three of their four losses, excuse me, four of their five losses, they had the ball the last series of the game with a chance to take the lead. I know this doesn't amount to anything on record-wise, but from a standpoint of, okay, that's something positive to build off of, they were in these games. Yeah. And that is not a bad football team. That's a team that can't close. That's a team that needs improvement. That's a team that needs a few key players in key positions, like the players that opted out. That's not a bad team. That also speaks to if they had a full offseason with Cam Newton, some of these plays actually work. I'm, I'm discounting the uh, one this Sunday because no matter what you do, he put the ball on the ground. So, I mean, that would be a loss regardless. Right. COVID season, not COVID season. But some of these, you know, the Seattle game, uh, Denver, Kansas City, well, Kansas City, if they had a starting quarterback, if they had a reasonable starting quarterback instead of Hoyer slash Stidham, it, it just speaks to how much importance OTAs, training camp, a full training camp, not the pretend one they had this year, actual live practice means to the Patriots and other teams of that ilk. Cause let's, if we're going to, you know, apply the, the, the narrative that we applied to the Dodgers and, and treat them as, you know, it was a, a legit uh, world series win. Then we have to apply it here as well. You know, everyone had the same opportunity to train up, do Zoom calls, the same amount of OTAs, which was just about none. The same amount of practice time, withstanding the uh, two weeks that the Patriots couldn't practice. It's it's just it's just a weird season, and I think I think this is going to build the Patriots. This is the Homer speaking in me. It's going to be able to build the Patriots 
to a better season next year. Because as you articulated uh, in the rundown, they have 66 million in cap space for next season as of right now. And that will probably move out, no doubt change at some point. Yeah. I mean, uh, also they had like, you know, 28 million in dead cap, 66 million in cap space next season. Uh, you know, and again, like you just said, that's before any adjustments are made based on income from this season. The thing to me that proves this is not dire that they can turn this around is there are zero long-term contracts on the books. Say what you want about, oh, they didn't pay this player. He deserved this. He deserved that. When's the last time you saw the Patriots give a guy a seven or eight year deal for, I don't know, $300 million, $200 million, five for a hundred. You don't. You I don't. mean, they paid top market for players before, but it's sure. very specific. Very specific players. Like- Stefan Gilmore? You knew how bad they wanted Stefan Gilmore. They gave him a five-year deal the first yep. day of free agency, yep. the year they signed him. And they gave him a really fair contract and a really good contract with a high guarantee. And, I mean, that's the last one that was even that big. Uh, Devin McCourty, when he came up, got a nice contract. Oh. But that wasn't anything over the top. Uh, the oh, last the, the last massive contract I can think of them giving was- out. Um, Adelis. Yeah, yep, Adelis. Uh, uh, Bledsoe. Bledsoe yeah. was 10 for like 105, I think, when they signed, which was at the time through the roof. Um, I mean, they, Brady had Brady, Brady had some big deals throughout the years, but that was always money that moved around. That's, yeah. It was a lot like, I mean, it was nowhere near the size of the Chiefs and Mahomes, but it was kind of the same idea where it was like, okay, we're going to give you this astronomical amount and, and a nice guarantee. Then we're going to move it around a little bit. It's going to be more team-friendly. So he got paid throughout the years, but that was always a little bit different setup. Uh, you know, this team doesn't have anybody on the books hampering them in two seasons. Next year, they have a lot of cap room. They already have some talent that's still on the books for next year. This is a team that's not in terrible situation financially. Because of how they run the organization. The Patriots way isn't just on the field. It's in the boardroom also. And that's going to mean that a a team may have a down season this year. But next year, with hopefully a full offseason, they can put a product back on the field and pull this out. Obviously, all factors around one position. That's quarterback. So I ask you, Chris, I understand we're eight weeks in. Cam coming back next year? I can 100% at this point tell you without a doubt, emphatically, I have no idea. Oh. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Because you don't know which know, Cam. kind of hyped it up a little bit there, Chris. Well, I mean, yeah, I do. I mean, that's yeah. wouldn't have been any kind of excitement if I just said, I oh, don't know. Man, it depends which Cam shows up. You know, you had the Cam of the first three weeks, where despite the loss to the, the Seahawks, looked awesome in that game. And then, you know, I kind of thought his first game back uh, after, you know, he missed the Chiefs game because he was on the COVID list. I kind of thought his first game back after that was like, okay, you know, maybe he didn't get a chance to practice enough. He's just kind of off. He's had a couple games since then. He still hasn't looked good until the second half of the Buffalo game. I know he had the fumble, but 
I said yeah. I was I was watching a game Sunday and I kept saying he is just indecisive. There were there were times where he had open lanes to run for a first down. He'd run a yard forward, step back into the pocket that was collapsing, throw the ball or attempt to throw the ball, and either get sacked, throw a pick, have it batted down. I'm like, if he had just did what Cam Newton does, pull the ball down and run, that's a first down drive continues. And then he came out in the second half and he played that way. So if this is the case of Cam just getting into his head for a few games, which we know he has a tendency to do, I love Cam. I think he's a great dude off the field. I think he's a talent on the field. I'm I'm happy the Patriots have him. I'd much rather have him there than Brian Hoyer. Oh God, it, we wouldn't have a win. No, no. If Brian Hoyer, and was... we really don't know what we have with Stidham because he doesn't get first team reps. You don't really know. But I mean, I can say if Cam plays at a high level or a good level the rest mm-hmm. of the season, there will be a contract offer. Will it be a five for 160? No. An elite level contract? No. They might offer like what a Teddy Bridgewater got. Like a four for 60, four for 65 with a high guarantee. I'd be okay with that. But if Cam wants to stay here and wants to continue to build off what he started this season, then that may be okay. If he really just wants to win. If he's really looking to end his career with another massive contract, and another team might overpay him, a team like, say, I don't know, the Jets, or maybe another team that's underperforming that has some cap room on quarterback. Uh, Phillip Rivers retires, maybe a team like the Colts. I mean, they could just offer him a blank check, 20, 25, 30 million a year, and say, hey, Cam, come play for us. If that's the case, I don't want the Patriots to match it. I don't want that to happen. They don't need that. That's that's too much of a... Uh, that's exactly what they don't do, which is why they're not doomed long-term, despite a down year this year. So I, I just think I, – I think you have a good point with the, bringing up those couple teams, the, the Jets and the Colts. Um, I just think teams are going to want to go younger and younger, even if – they feel like they're on the cusp. I, I, the lone exception would be the Colts because obviously they went for supposed upgrade from uh, from um, Jacoby Brissett to Philip Rivers. I just, I just don't know if it's going to be. The options are not going to be there for Cam Newton, and you know how Bill works. If you wait too long, he's gonna he's gonna shift gears. Go another direction. And if you try coming back to the table, if you're not one of his guys, if you come try coming back to the table, he might say, well, that contract offer I gave you earlier, no longer on the table. Here's the new one, significantly less. Or I'm just going to go in the draft, get a, a garbage veteran that I think can, I can I can make do with, and go from there. Uh, that's the one concern if I were talking to Cam is like when the season's over, be very decisive by the time that that, that moment you're going to need to know uh, when Bill's in needed answer. And it's going to be like the fifth, fifth day of the league year, which will be in March. Two months is plenty of time for him to decide what realistically do I want what realistically will I get? And uh, to your point, 
do I want to win with the Patriots or do I just want that fat contract at the end of my career? Well, I don't know. I'm going to tell you this, and I didn't even realize this when I first wrote this down when I wrote the rundown here. Yep. But uh, these two teams could tie into each other far more than I actually even imagined. Uh, the Patriots and the 49ers are the two teams we're talking about here. And the Patriots are an example of of why a rebuild doesn't always have to be bad. And the 49ers are an example of, okay, your team was bad, had a lot of first-round picks. Now they are they went to really, really good to great last season, and they could go really back to mediocre, mediocre to okay if they're not careful. Kind of a cautionary tale. Um, What about Jimmy G on the Pats next year? It's on the table. And I know it sounds crazy because he just signed a big contract a few years ago, but the way these contracts work is not you sign it and then you're just with the team long-term. There's always guaranteed money. There's always dead cap money. If, if Cam Newton continues to struggle and wants an astronomical amount next year, the, the guaranteed money, the 49ers are, are supposed to pay Jimmy Garoppolo is off the books after this season. They could trade him or perhaps even cut him and receive, have no penalty for that. And they're going to need that money going forward because they have a lot of really important defensive players whose contracts are going to be up. They just signed George Kittle to a massive contract. They have receivers that are going to need money. Are you going to keep paying Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, $30 million a year to hand the ball off 30 times? Uh, I don't know. You could kind of get yourself out of that contract. And if you wanted to trade him, depending how bad Belichick wants him, you could trade him for, oh, say, Stefan Gilmore. True. I don't exactly quite think that's a match. I think Gilmore's a higher level corner than Garoppolo is quarterback. But Belichick was always high on Jimmy G. It's come out now and for the past couple of years. Robert Kraft wanted to keep Brady. Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo and trade Brady to the Niners. And he could have a chance to get his boy back in his prime. When Belichick still has years left to coach and see what he could do with him. Uh, I know it's complete speculation. I don't think it's speculation as far as the Niners go. I don't think Garoppolo will be the starter for them next year. But unless he massively restructures the whole Patriots getting Garoppolo and the whole trade thing. That's just me speculating. I don't know. That's spitballing. That'd be a lot to work out there. But, I mean, look, 49ers know this year is a lost year. Oh, yeah. It They're, wasn't. It wasn't. But unparalleled injury issues. I cannot count the last time a team suffered this many big-name injuries to impact players. I mean, they have a ton of talent. But they face future uncertainty at quarterback, running back, defensive line. They have no dead cap this season, but they only have $18 million available next season. So if they were to not have Jimmy G next season and they could make it work with a different quarterback, uh, they'd have quite a bit more cap room to play with. Unlike the Patriots, they do have several long-term deals impacting the team. And they'll have to make big decisions at key positions. What are they going to do? Well, can they, they can, they can they do a Patriots and make it work and, and cut the right guys and structure other guys' contracts to make it make it feasible? Or are they just going to pay their top guys and say, screw it, we'll just hope we get lucky? 
Well, they, they kind of did it this offseason. They traded, they gave Eric Armstead the big contract and they traded DeForest Buckner to the Colts and got a first round pick and then took that first round pick and drafted a defensive lineman. They're going to do the same thing next year. They're going to make a decision on Bosa. What are they going to do with Bosa? The, they have to make a decision on uh, who is that? Who's the defensive end they got from from Kansas City? I can't remember his name. He's D Ford. played. Yes, D Ford. Like they're gonna have to make like there's a lot of decisions they're gonna have to make. I agree with that. And because they were they were so bad for quite a few years, they got a lot of high defensive graphics. Let's not forget uh, linebacker uh, uh, Fred Warner who is playing out of his mind as, uh, I think, a second or third round pick, he's eventually going to come up and need a new contract. And he's not going to be cheap as a uh, linebacker who can cover running backs, can cover the uh, tight ends, sideline to sideline. Like, this is the kind of guy you want to invest in. So, again, are they going to have the money to secure his future? And they need a quarterback. And is Jimmy G the answer? Because if Jimmy G is not the answer, then you're just going to be up and down like they are this season where they're four and four. Not a bad record. It's a pretty decent record. The problem is, is they're in the NFC West and they are in the bottom of the NFC West, which is kind of the opposite if they were in the NFC East. So, you need to make a decision for the rest of this year on what players you're going to pay next year and the years to come. And the biggest decision I agree with will be the Jimmy Garoppolo decision. Is he your quarterback? Because I don't think Nick Mullins is the answer. And any other player they have on their roster isn't the answer. They're not going to have a they're not going to have a, a an opportunity to get one of the young the really high value young quarterbacks in the draft and they're not going to overdraft for one of the second tier quarterbacks in the first round. So they're going to have to make serious long-term decisions this off season leading into the draft with, was that 18 million in cap space next yeah, year? That's, as of now. That's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's not a lot of wiggle room. And I don't think they need to blow up. They don't need to blow this up. They have an opportunity right now to just add and subtract a few players here and there and get themselves an opportunity to really make an impact in an, unfortunately in the probably the toughest division in in the NFL. Yeah, I, I agree. They definitely don't have to blow it up, but we'll see if they panic. John Lynch has done a nice job out there as GM so far, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, they hopefully for Niners fans they don't. But man, I don't know. It, they're gonna, it's going to be a fine line between cutting costs and blowing up that team. Well, speaking of blowing up, my uh, my banker tank week eight. Well, you finally beat me this week, Ben, or this past week, I, mean, I should I went- say. I went 500, but you went 500, win. but you still won. I mean, you 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 went full NFC East. Uh, I mean, I went one and five, by far my worst showing yet. You went three and three, as well as uh, 
uh, fan of the show, Tammy, who has been playing every week. Thank you very much for that. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Uh, she went three and three as well. You are 20 and 28 on the season. She is 18 and 18 and I am 27 and 21. So I'm still about 500, but, uh, man, uh, oof. five losses and one win. Not, not a banner week for me. going to look to turn it around this week and, and put you back, put, you know, the status quo, put you back okay. down to the bottom. Let's, okay. uh, let's make that happen. What do you got? Uh, so for bank, I'm going to go quarterback, Matthew Stafford, running back, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire wide receiver, DJ Chark. So I understand DJ has not had a great season. I'm going to gamble on DJ because he's got a new starting quarterback this week. Uh, Jake Lutton. Was it, was it Jake Lutton that's starting this week? Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I think so. Um, I'm pretty sure it's over the Jaguars found from the parking attendant pool who could throw more than 20 yards. Uh, I, I Gardner's injured. So it's not a demotion for Gardner Minshew. Um, he hasn't had a, I know DJ's had a few weeks where he wasn't available and, but also when he's been available, hasn't really connected with uh, Gardner Minshew this year, which is odd because they had such a great rapport last year. So I, I think the rookie quarterback, uh, I think he's a rookie, actually. He's going to have to find DJ Chark to have any success. Um, I just feel like he's a big target. He's good hands, good range. It's just, and, and also they're facing Houston, who's just trash. Uh, I'll stand by that. With the lone exception of Deshaun Watson, they're trash. Well, tell us how you really feel. You really shouldn't hold it in. All right. For me, Bank, I got Kyler Murray, DeAndre Swift, and DK Metcalf. Uh, Murray and Metcalf I don't have to get into because those guys are studs. Like, they're going to perform against anybody. DeAndre Swift, however, uh, he's been hit or miss. He's a rookie. Showed a lot of potential. Looked like he was really coming on with the Lions. And then... They went full Detroit Lions and stunk out the joint this past weekend. The entire team was bad. It wasn't just Swift. Matthew Stafford lost his consistency back in 2018. You can't seem to find it. They're going to have to rely on him more. Because, uh, look, Carrion Johnson, for all the positives he showed the last couple years, I think as far as just injuries go and everything, that's proven he can't be a primary back. Can be, he can split time with Swift. Swift is but the more talented of the two. He's a better receiver of the two. He can run the ball. He can he can find the holes and get, and you know make plays. And there's a good chance Kenny Galladay is going to miss some time, which is going to make Swift even more useful. And I mean, he only has a 12.3 uh, point projection. There is absolutely no reason he shouldn't far surpass that and be heavily heavily used against a very shaky. Very shaky Minnesota Vikings defense. And now especially they don't have Yannick and Jaku. That's even worse. Uh, I look for a big game from Swift. And to your point, Chris, there's a reason why Georgia, when they uh, lost uh, Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb to the draft, uh, there was no drop-off because then they just had DeAndre Swift. And yeah. I mean, that's just that's – just, a great transition from running back to running back to running back is 
he's he's really good. He just needs some time to be that upper echelon running back type. My tank, Daniel Jones, David Johnson, and Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. So I, I I was looking over the running backs. I'm trying to see, okay, where's where's the what's what's really standing out here? The projection. This is more about the projection for the player that doesn't make sense. And I just think this. If anyone's looking at this number, a 15.3 projection for David Johnson, even against Jacksonville, that just seems a little bit high. I I just don't see he's wildly inconsistent this year. He had a spike. Was it last week or the week before? Because he got uh, two touchdown receptions, I think. A week before they didn't play last week. Okay. So it was a week before Uh, I get my weeks mixed up sometimes. Thank you for correcting me. I think that's a, it's just an anomaly in his, in, in, in the game he's at right now. And Jacksonville, I just don't, I don't think there's any way uh, David Johnson 2020 will give up, will get 15.3 points against the Jacksonville Jaguars. It just, that one just did, it, as soon as I saw it, it just didn't make sense. Could he get double digits points? Absolutely. It's still Jacksonville. It's just, if you look at it and, and, and you're resting your hopes on him being your RB1, boy, uh, I, I wouldn't do that. If, how are you? Chris, who do you got? I have for my tank players, Josh Allen, Josh Jacobs, and Adam Thielen. You couldn't come up with a Josh for receiver? I tried. I tried. I didn't do that on purpose, but once I saw that, I was looking, and I just I, I couldn't. I couldn't make it work. Uh, Josh Allen, uh, look, he's going to have a fine game because that Seattle Seahawks secondary is not good. That entire defense isn't good. Uh, statistically, I mean, all you got to do is watch him play, and you can see that. Uh, he has a 35-point projection, though. Oof. I don't care who you are. There's There's guys who hit that every week. That is hard to do, and when you add in the fact last week they kind of seemed to unlock a little bit of uh, a little bit of the running game magic. They didn't really know they had with Devin Singletary and Zach Moss having a big game against the Patriots. Uh, I'd say the Seahawks are one of the few teams that has a worse rush defense than the Patriots. They're going to run the ball more. It's not going to just be the Josh Allen throwing downfield for you know three hundred yards and four touchdowns show. Uh, it's going to be really hard for him to hit this projection. It was a lot like Russell Wilson last week. I was granted I was wrong on that when I said Russell wouldn't hit his projection. Uh, but that's all it is with Josh Allen. I don't know who wins the game. I'd probably have to say Seahawks, honestly, if I had to choose. But Allen have a fine game. I don't think he's going to stink up the joint. I just think the game plan with running the ball more isn't going to lead to him being able to hit that projection. So what's your game of the week? So game of the week, as we alluded to earlier in the episode, I'm going with New England Patriots at the New York Jets. I'm concerned about this game because beginning of the season, I'm like, oh, this is two easy wins for the Patriots. No problem. The way the Jets are playing, it it's, shouldn't be an issue. And now after the game against 
for the 49ers. And then this past weekend, although it was, I would say not a fluke fumble, but it was one, you know, one juke or one miss punch by the defender to, for Cam not to fumble, which could have won the game for the Patriots. Still, it concerns me the way they're playing that this could be a loss for the Patriots. So I'm looking at the Patriots coming out and just needing to dominate the Jets to really have not only confidence from their fan base, confidence in themselves to really just roll through the Jets, have the running game clicking with everybody, seeing some passing, seeing just the offense flow for four quarters. The defense, the defense I'm not worried about because they're going to be able to play better if the offense can consistently roll down the field and take time off the clock. And, the, and that way the Patriots defense is down the field consistently after three and out, after three and out, after three and out, which I think is the biggest problem the Patriots defense has is just the consistent lack of consistency on offense. Yeah, I can certainly agree with that. Although the, the only the only upside of that is it looks like Sam Darnold, not that he's a massive threat, but it looks like he may not play that game because of a shoulder injury. Damn. I was hoping. So so he may not be seeing ghosts. It might be Joe Flacco. So <laughs> that um <laughs> Well then there's that. Yeah. yeah so that defense should be okay. I mean the Patriots may only score six points on offense. So it might be a six three final, but uh, I have the Ravens and the Colts, the Baltimore Ravens against the old Baltimore Colts. Uh, I just think, man, this Ravens offense, or defense looks great. The offense looks sufficient to good, but Lamar Jackson is not having a year like he had last year. I'm not trying to say they figured him out and the kid's no good, nothing like that, but it's it's just watch him play. It's It's not the same as it was last season. Uh, this Colts defense can stop the run very, very effectively. Baltimore loves to run the ball. That is how, that is their bread and butter. That's what they try to build everything around is the run. You're talking absolute strength against absolute strength. And I think the Colts can score on the Ravens defense about as well as the Ravens offense can score on the Colts defense. This is going to be a very interesting game of, and I love games like this, and I've picked a game like this the last couple of weeks where it's just strength on strength. It's going to be a great game, be very entertaining. I can honestly see the Colts winning this game, despite Philip Rivers being a quarterback for him. I can honestly see them pulling this out. And how big would that be to have a win over the Ravens in at least the playoff, the playoff tiering? I mean, that'd be big, but. I'm not. I'm not saying for sure. I wouldn't put it as a lock for the Colts. If I had to make a guess at the score, I'd say Colts twenty-one to seventeen. What? I hate to. I hate to do this, but I think the Pats will win seventeen to sixteen. Yeah, it's not going to be a blowout. <laughs> I know. I know. Sixteen is kind of a fun in in football terms. It's a kind of a funny number, 
but it's the Jets. So obviously they have the innate ability to get to 16 because they're that bad. I just think the offense, I just don't know how much the offense is going to progress from last week to this week. 16 is a touchdown on three field goals. It's not exactly odd. No, but it's in football terms, it can, a final score of 16 can be odd. But I, I see your, I do see your point. That's, I just, I just, it's more about the Patriots' offense. Where are they going to be on Sunday? Or no, not Sunday, Monday night. Where this is this is the same Patriots' offense from the second half of the Buffalo game, minus the fumble, of course. Uh, This is going to be it's a whole different story. Then it could be a blowout. Absolutely, they'll if they do that for four quarters, they'll just roll right through them. But I need to see that level of consistency, and they need to get on track because the following week they have Baltimore. And how many carries did? How many carries did Damian Harris have? What, like I don't know, but they need to use this 13? kid more. Because, yeah, because when he touches the ball, he's effective. They found their starting running back. Absolutely. And, and, and what, what bothered me the most was they – and I don't know if they did this on purpose, but it took till the second half to really just start feeding him the ball. And I, that could have been on purpose by the coaching staff to say, you know, we're going to – we're gonna monitor your carries in the first half and then the second half we're going to we're going to give you the ball. Maybe the kids got enough in the in the tank to just say, "Look, we're going to go 20 carries." I mean, Dalvin Cook had what? The 30s, I think. Yeah. Was he in the, was yep. he in the 30s? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Uh, 200 plus yards, four total touchdowns. I, I'm not saying Damian Harris is Dalvin Cook, but you, you see what he did against the Kansas City Chiefs. He saw promise the past few weeks, except for against the San Francisco 49ers, which nobody played good against. Yeah, they couldn't they couldn't run the ball when they were down by that much. So right. So you see what he has this week. This is two, I think, two good game barometers for Damian Harris to say, okay, we see what you got with this many carries and this many carries. You're doing your responsibilities and pass block when we're asking you to. Let's go. Let's go. And well, the tight end position is just garbage. That's Jeez. a fitting conclusion of this week's episode. Let's go. Unless you have anything else, we're going to go. No, I'm all set. All right. That's going to wrap it up for episode 102. Any questions or comments about this from this episode or past episodes or Anything else sports related for that matter? Ben and I would love to hear from you. And where can they get in touch with us? Well, you can hit on Twitter. That's at BCTS pod. Facebook is Ben and Chris talk sports. And you can hit us up on the website, bctspod.com. Once again, we thank you very much for all your support. Really means a lot to us. Uh, Downloads continue to increase every episode, every day. That's because you guys are out there spreading the word. We thank you very much. If you enjoyed the episode, Please tell a friend. Word of mouth is still one of the best ways to advertise. Absolutely. For Ben, I am Chris. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you right back here next Wednesday. Thank you.